Welcome to the TALON project. TALON stands for Teaching and Learning Online Network. As we adjust to the new COVID-19 reality, TALON provides a platform for sharing and discussing resources and practices for remote education. You can learn more at taloncloud.ca. Enjoy this episode. Today I have with me David Gauntlet. I'm Sandra Becklin. Um, David, if you introduce yourself. Um... Hello, yeah. I'm David Gauntlet. I'm Canada Research Chair in Creativity at Ryerson University in the Faculty of Communication and Design. I moved to Canada about two and a half years ago from the UK, where I previously worked all my, all my academic life uh, in a number of roles there. How does your teaching look like 2020? Um, maybe compared to how it looked before. So what has changed, but also, you know, maybe um, what you're currently, you know, working yeah. on. Um, when the lockdown and everything started, that was, um, it's basically, I always remember it as being around my birthday, which is March the 15th. And at that point, I w I'd already been teaching uh, an MA class called creativity, identity, and making things happen. That was my MA class, which I've been teaching in the normal way, in person, you know, uh, since January. So I, as a class of about 20, and I got to know all of them because we'd had nice in-person classes and we tend to do quite workshoppy kind of things with, I would bring in different kind of creative materials so we can build metaphors of our, our thoughts and reflections about different things. And we would do stuff where, you know, I, I always like to turn up with big sheets of paper and colored pens and map things out and, and do it quite physically. Uh, and then and then COVID happened, happened basically. Um, and we had to switch to doing the last few of them. I think there was about four of them left in the term, which we did online. And that was fine because we knew each other already. We were able to switch some of the things that we'd previously done together so that we're doing them, you know, apart, but same kind of things. And that was okay. So I thought, well, that was okay. But then with all the time between when that kind of finished in April or whatever, then there was like a six month gap before then my next class was starting. It's not six months, but it's four or five months. Uh, and that one is an undergraduate one called Your Creative Self, which I'd previously taught once, um, which is meant to be very hands-on, workshoppy, everybody in the class together, but um, the, the time I did it before when a lot of the joy is just turning up with different materials each time and doing leading them on new exercises not much lectury stuff a, a bit of me talking at the start you know but then we would it would mostly be kind of reflective exercises and students sharing things about their creative experiences um and I thought that's gonna be really terrible <laughs> like how, how do I how do you do that online and and I mostly thought I remember there being a turning point because I was mostly thinking, um, well, it's like, obviously we have to make do and do the best that I can with a Zoom class of 90. Um, it would have been 90 in person. And that's sort of a cock up where it was meant to be capped at 60 and, and somebody pressed the wrong button on the computer. So it was 90, which is already too many people for this kind of class. And then it's going to be 90 people on Zoom. And I thought it's going to be really hard. <laughs> but um maybe three or four weeks away from when it started uh, i for some reason i just thought let's embrace this because i'd just been sort of thinking the only thing you can do is just sort of try to make the best of it and it won't be as good basically 
Um, but what can you do? Because that's the situation we're in. Um, but then I thought, oh no, let's let's embrace it and try to do like the maximum and just sort of pretend that it was always meant to be like this and, and do it that way with the kind of mindset of like, let's make it great. <laughs> Which is easier said than done. Um, but at least I thought that I remember thinking this whilst I was walking the dog Holly, who's just over there. Um, and uh, and I suddenly thought that, uh, that was uh, that was kind of a light bulb moment. It's quite a, it's not, it's not a very clever thought really, but that was kind of a light bulb of thinking, oh yes, do the maximum is how I thought of it. Um, and, and just try to be really sort of happy and embracing this thing and ignoring the fact that I actually think it's kind of awful. Because <laughs> you can't talk about how it's awful all the time because we already know it's awful. So there's no point. Um, of course, I wanted to be sympathetic to students having difficulties and that they might be recently bereaved, they might be feeling very anxious in these times, all of that. So I, I, I acknowledge that. I don't, I don't force them to be cheerful about, about COVID or anything. But, um, but I decided that I would just do it as if it was meant to be online like this and, and that, you know, that it was just a good plan and not an awful plan. <laughs> uh, and so I am actually quite enjoying it and the students seem to like it. Um, there's all kinds of other things you can ask me about this. Uh, but I'm very aware of the fact, the one thing I was gonna say is I'm always very aware of the fact that like, I'm obviously in the center of it because it's like I, I'm in the place where I present it and I'm obviously by definition at the center of this experience, which has 90 other people on the Zoom and they, you know, they may be paying rapt attention or they may be doing something else on their computer at the same time they might have actually switched off and I don't really know because half of them are black boxes the other half have their cameras on and I know you can't force them to put their cameras on but I much prefer it obviously if there's if they do have their cameras on because you can see people which is what we expect a classroom to be like being able to see people um but but so I sort of keep the energy up and and I think it's good but then afterwards I think oh well I thought it was good but I don't know about the people at the end of all of these 90 different spokes out from me, because obviously I'm going to enjoy it. <laughs> and if a certain number of people uh, interact with me and, and we have some nice conversations and it's interesting, um, then I think, oh, this is going well. But actually the number of students who actually talk to me in any of the three hour Canadian sessions, uh, it, it's, what is it? It's, it's probably less than 20% of the class of 90, um, which seems at the time like quite a lot, like you're getting quite a few different voices and, and different people talking to you. Um, but it's actually, you know, I don't like to think about this, but most of them are not doing that. You know, they're there and they, and there's different ways to communicate as well. Cause like they participate in the chat more than they like to actually speak up. So there's quite a lot of interaction on the chat in a zoom. Um, and I, you know, they are, they are there and paying attention, but it's definitely weird about the fact that, you know, the, the, the thing where you can't see their faces half the time and who knows what, what their experience is. Yeah. How do, how do you bring in the creative bit or the do bit, the make do bit? Um, well, you can still get um, them to make things. Yeah, you can still ask them to do things. It mostly because you can't really use of writing materials it might be kind of exclusionary to do that because some people would have access to things and some people wouldn't um i don't want to send them all to the shops necessarily and and so on um so it tends to be more things where i'm just telling them to do things on paper basically i'm like draw a big circle 
write three things, ding, ding, ding. And then around those things, you know, do it step by step and give them instructions of, so it's kind of like self-creating a kind of worksheet yourself with your pen and I guide them through it and tell them what to do. And so it's less varied uh, than it would otherwise be, but you can get them doing that. Um, I mean, the, the, and I'm able to do that because of the kind of thing I'm doing, which is kind of workshoppy kind of activities about creativity. Uh, I don't know what I would do if I was having to teach, you know, sewing skills or some real skills, yeah. uh, you know, design kind of thing. Um, one of my students I was talking to yesterday is doing a typography course. And it's all asynchronous and online. And I kind of thought, crikey, <laughs> I wouldn't really want to be teaching some complex skill thing in, in, in this time anyway. And then doing it as an asynchronous thing. So you never get any kind of direct, you know, you never have somebody leaning over your shoulder showing you how to do a letter in this case. <laughs> Sounds very difficult. Yeah. Um, but in my case, yeah, I can just lead them to do exercises in a, in a way which is, not that different to in a classroom. Yeah. What would you say, what are, you know, you said like embrace it. What would you say are the opportunities created in this? Um, you know, do you see, you know, having, having gone through it a little bit, um, what is emerging where you say, you know, that may surprise you or that's really kind of something where you see some um, good, you know, happening? Which, you know, may be different from what, what usually. Yeah, I mean, it does work better than I'd have thought. Because as, as we all know now, um, COVID has meant that suddenly we all adopt technologies like Zoom and other collaborative online things. Um, and, and it's okay. Whereas before 2020, if you'd have said to me, you're going to do your teaching as some kind of massive video conference thing, I would have just thought that sounded terrible. I wouldn't be able to picture it and I wouldn't expect it to work really. Um, and as it turns out, you can. So what this means is it, it kind of strikes me that you could just run kind of potentially global kind of courses. People don't all need to be in the same place, obviously. Um, and therefore you could do things involving all kinds of different people at lots of different stages of their life and in lots of different geographical locations, um, which I hadn't really thought you could do very well before obviously those things did exist it's not a revolutionary idea but I kind of assumed that they wouldn't work very well because <laughs> I like classroom teaching um, and I like people being in the same place um, turns out that's not actually necessary I still think it's better though to have people in a classroom but it turns out it's not essential and the cost and difficulty of getting people in, all into one place and now the health risk, but even apart from that, um, obviously that's considerable. So, so the fact that you can do this kind of online teaching is a kind of eye opener for me. And obviously people have been doing online teaching for decades. So, uh, but it's interesting to me that you can do that and that you can have a sort of interact. I suppose I knew obviously that online education exists, but it tended to be what I knew about tended to seem kind of quite asynchronous and not very, you wouldn't be very connected between the, uh, the, the learners and the people assisting them to learn or teaching them um but you can have a certain amount you can have interaction and some amount of closeness in this video environment it's not the same but you can so that that has struck me as a as a thing but 
like recently when somebody was like showing the video in a sort of faculty meeting thing, somebody was showing the video, one of the videos from one of my classes and, and everyone's like, oh, that looks great. I guess you want to stay online after even all this. I'm like, no, no, I don't. I'm making the best of this, but no, <laughs> I don't want to stay online after, after, if there isn't after, there must be an after. I don't want to stay online. I want to get back into classrooms because it's just nice. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. And also I've seen you've, you've launched some other initiatives. Um, I've seen you um, open up some online drop-in where people could, you know, discuss whatever creative work that, um, they're doing. Yeah. Um, do, would you say that's also been enabled by the digital or the move to online? Yeah. It certainly makes it more convenient. And it means that it's a thing you can kind of, yeah. Yeah, it's something I've not thought of doing before. So that's a, there's a thing called Creativity Conversations that I do with Rain, who's uh, my research assistant in the creativity everything lab at Ryzen. Um, and, and yeah, people can just email us and say, uh, they'd like to chat about whatever their creative project is. And it's sort of coaching. It's sort of just a chance for them to share what they're working on and share some of their questions or anxieties and, and, and see if we've got anything that we can suggest. And I always say to people, you know, we, we don't necessarily have the answer to all of your problems, but you can talk about it and we might have some interesting suggestions and we do that. And yeah, we, obviously, I guess we could have done that before as a thing. I guess then you'd picture it as a physical thing and then people would be like turning up to appointments and it's like you're a doctor and people are coming to appointments with you and it just never occurred to me to do that. And so, yeah, that is another opportunity that just the fact that people can just go on Zoom and talk to you. Um, yeah, that is the thing that we're offering, which wouldn't have occurred to me before. And, it, and things like that, I've done some other things like... Uh, free public creativity workshops in collaboration with Artscape Launchpad, which is a thing in Toronto to support creative communities. Um, and other things since the summer. Uh, it's basically part of that thing where COVID is happening and, and the sort of idea that your children will ask you, what did you do in the war, daddy? Um, that being the war against COVID. And, and obviously I haven't got the ability to develop any super vaccines or anything. So like lots of other people, I just do lots of stuff online for free, available to people. Because <laughs> um, that's, that's a useful thing I can do, though it's not exactly solving the COVID crisis. What would you then on the, upper, on the uh, other end say, you know, what, what has been the biggest challenge when moving to remote teaching, particularly? Um, you know, you said, you know, big distance from people, having a really large group on Zoom. Um, yeah. You just don't get the same personal connection that you get with students from just from seeing their faces, especially the quieter ones. Um, so of those who are, are more willing to speak and, and pipe up in, in classes, uh, the, the ones on Zoom, I feel like I, I know them quite well and we can kind of, you know, we, we, we have quite a, a warm relationship between me and, and those ones who speak more and I, you know, you can have fun with them in the way that you would with actual <laughs> actual people <laughs> they are actual people um but in so, so that's kind of similar with those people who do speak but then in an if you're in a physical classroom with those other people and sort of quieter ones you can still have some connection with them and maybe if they're not even saying very much or or you do they're doing group work and you can just kind of go around the groups and so you get more of a chance to hear what you know to hear their voices even if they don't want to speak up in the larger group that kind of thing and and just the fact that they're there and you can see their facial reactions all of that that means you get a much better connection with those people um 
and going online, those people are the ones who tend, I guess, to be just hidden behind a black box on Zoom. And who knows what they're thinking or feeling. Um, and, and sometimes the black boxes speak because they've got sound on and not video. Um, and it's always a kind of surprise. And I wish that I could see what their face looked like just because that's how we're used to connecting as humans. Um, but basically that is, the, is my answer. It's about not being able to connect with the people who are less keen to speak in a large Zoom call because yeah. you really don't know about those people at all. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't like that. Mm. Um, we talked a lot about Zoom. Are there other tools, softwares, applications you like yeah. to use or, you know, I, great or you I, I was looking for all kinds of different things because uh, I've been introduced to Google Jamboard, which, as people might know, is a free Google whiteboard thing where lots of people can go on at once and you can just draw together what you put post-it notes together and they all appear on one thing. Have you seen this, Sandra? Do you know what I mean? I did. Yeah. Uh, um, and that seemed good. And so I'm like, oh, yeah, good. So that's that's one good tool. Um, and then I was looking for lots of other things like that, because I thought, not exactly like that, but what other interactive things can we do that we can collaboratively do together in real time? Because there must be more things than that. Um, and I, I got one of my research assistants to spend a while uh, looking for them. And I asked some other people and I kept asking people about different kinds of things. And I thought I was going to come up with a whole list of different ones, but I never found any, any other ones that seemed as good as that. Because with Jamboard, you just you can easily just post the URL, bang, people are straight on it. They don't need to sign in or do any boring stuff like that. And it's just really obvious what it is and what you do with it, just very straightforward. And you need things to be straightforward, I think. Like if you've got a class of 90 and most people get it, but there's 10 people who need some help, it's gonna kind of ruin everything straight away. So, so it needs to be really easy. And, and I considered things like, like, I thought, could we do Twitch and like maybe watch some videos together and write comments alongside? But, but all of those ideas fell by the wayside because it just seemed too complicated. And I decided that having Zoom and Jamboard together, so because you're always at least connected by audio in Zoom, but you can have a Jamboard going at the same time so people can still speak and interact without having to switch what they're using but you can have the Jamboard visually at the same time, and that's easy and familiar. Uh, that seemed good. And trying out lots of different tools ended up seeming like more trouble than it was worth and probably just gonna confuse at least some of the people, which would then ruin the whole class and so on. Um, so now I feel relatively unadventurous, but having those two things is quite good. And so in my class, we have guests quite often. And so then in Jamboard, well, then I, I say like, let's just have a minute silence where you each generate at least one or two questions that we'll be able to ask our guests. They hear a bit of stuff about the guests so they know what kind of thing it is they might be talking about. And then everybody posts questions. And so your Jamboard very quickly goes, fills up with loads of interesting questions. Uh, and then you can just spend an hour with your guests just picking through different questions and, and they can lead it or you can lead it. Um, and the people who've asked the questions sometimes pipe up and, and say something or students pitch in and, and talk about it. So, so that's good. Um, and I didn't end up using any other technologies so far. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Cause yeah. I, just because I don't want to make it too complicated. And any, any extra platform you add just makes it harder. Just makes it harder. Um, yeah. <laughs> I don't want to make it difficult for people. Where, um, um, just following up on that, where do you, where you get inspiration from? Do you, do you watch sometimes videos or do you Google or? 
do you tend to chat with colleagues or you know is there particular sites you you kind of go and browse or do you go back to the old-fashioned book and <laughs> read uh, up on things or i don't think a book would help at this point i mean if you've got a very recently published good book about this that might help but in terms of looking for what are the good tools that are available now um I, yeah i was asking colleagues obviously you go for the colleagues who you think are going to be doing the interesting stuff and and we had some sharing within our sort of department of you know, best practices and our department even hired a or paid a guy to be a kind of consultant who we could just talk to whenever we wanted to about what we were thinking of doing for our online teaching and if, if they had any ideas or suggestions and he was supportive and helpful and made some interesting suggestions which i didn't take up all of he suggested thinking of the students as curators as a kind of museum of stuff about the subject you're teaching and sort of lead them through a process of inviting them to be curators of a space exhibiting the knowledge about this thing um which i haven't said it very well it sounded better when he said it um and that sounded quite exciting i like that idea it doesn't quite work for your creative self because your creative self is always just about you so it's not exactly about a body of knowledge that exists elsewhere um, but I, I, that was an interesting and thought-provoking idea. But in terms of where you get information, sorry, I'm talking too long. I have to go at 12 o'clock. Um, yeah, and, and Googling and finding interesting suggestions on Twitter. Um, there's a guy called Jesse Strommel, Jessifer, at Jessifer, um, who I'd found interesting when he was posting about not grading ungrading and he seemed to have interesting suggestions also about digital teaching um and and being very inclusive and being very thoughtful about different people's needs and abilities to engage with this kind of world um so i looked at jessifer and and people who he talked to and was related to um but yeah it's just kind of wandering around online looking for interesting things to a certain extent yep <laughs> final question um the most difficult one, where do you think, you know, is higher education going? We usually ask in the next 10 years, um, we know it's difficult to predict tomorrow, but you know, where do you th see things moving? Um, do you think we may go back? Do you think we go back to a blended approach? Do you think something completely different is going to emerge out of this? Or what are your thoughts? I mean, the main point is, I don't know, uh, but having Let's, let's park that for now. Because um, as you say, nobody, nobody knows. <laughs> we don't really feel like we know what's happening uh, in the next few months, let alone in the next few years, especially at the moment. But, well, I think the fact that we've had our eyes open to the fact that you can do quite a lot of stuff online pretty effectively will change people's willingness to have some parts online or to deliver whole courses online. Um, because necessity has meant that we've realized that actually it's okay and it can work. But also, um, I think we always knew that we liked face-to-face -face teaching in person, or, or many of us did. And, and this pandemic has just reinforced that because everybody's very keen to have that back. Um, so, it, so it doesn't, I don't think it means that everyone's like, oh, yes, okay, this online teaching is fine. We'll just stick with this. I don't think that's going to happen because I think we like the the real world experience. Also, of course, for universities, well, then if you're 
wanting students to come and give you quite a lot of money uh, for that student experience, then you've got to be delivering that student experience unless you're actually being stopped by a pandemic. And when we're hopefully in the future, we won't be being stopped from doing that by a pandemic. And then it really does uh, focus the mind on what extra is it that going to university, going to university, what does that add to your life and to your experience beyond just getting some information delivered to you through a computer? <laughs> and I, I do think that being a student at a university um, should be a wonderful, all-encompassing experience with lots of different dimensions, only a pretty small part of which is getting information about a thing which could be delivered to a computer. And then there's all the other stuff, that, which, is, which is good and which we're mostly not doing any of at the minute. Um, and I think people will want to go back to that. And to justify their existence, universities will need to go back to that. Uh, it probably raises more questions for universities about their continuing existence certainly for maybe for some of those that weren't so prestigious and weren't doing so well before uh they really need to show what they are adding because otherwise people are now even more aware than ever that they could just go online and get a get a course get you know sort of get that learning as it were um in some cheaper quicker form where you don't have to leave your house uh which could be attractive to many so it's that's a challenge to universities but also i i quite like that challenge because it means that universities really need to think properly about what is a university which is always a good question and 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 what are they doing for people i was going to say young people but they don't have to be young um what what kind of experiences and sort of personal development are they bringing which is more than just receiving a bunch of content which you could obviously do any you know in any way which was always the case you know this was always a challenge for universities which became more apparent over the past 10 or 20 years with the internet coming along which just made it ever more obvious that if you just want a bunch of information well you can you can get that <laughs> uh, and therefore the purpose of a university isn't simply to hand you a parcel of information because you don't need a university for that so then you've got the interesting question about what do you need a university for which was always a good question and and it's just been sharpened recently i don't think there's a huge appetite to you know for everybody just to carry on acting like how we have to act in covid times though because nobody likes that as far as i know i don't know anybody that thinks it's an amazing blessing to a certain extent i know some students find it convenient because you you know you don't have to keep maybe having quite a large journey to a campus to receive this thing which is quite convenient but i think everybody's keen to not being in a global pandemic situation which isn't really fun i think that's a that's a nice ending <laughs> <It's> <laughs> a, unless there is anything else you would like to add um, but i just think it, it's posing a, an interesting you know position and, and also question um, you know. uh, and with my revelation <laughs> that a global pandemic isn't fun that's obviously going to be a thought-provoking point for people so. <laughs> exactly <laughs> I thought it was fun, but he's right. It's not fun. That's right. Um, yeah, okay, good. Thank you. Thank you, David. Thanks. It was a pleasure to talk to you. This episode was produced by Talon. You can find the video of the interview and more at talentcloud.ca. The Talon project is funded by the Richard Parker Initiative. It is hosted at the School of Architecture, Planning and Landscape at the University of Calgary. Thank you for listening.